in addition to the paralysis there's that we've been that you know you and I've been talking about, there's also that assumption that donors aren't going to give. But everything I'm seeing, and and certainly what history has been showing us, is that donors do give. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Barbara O'Reilly. Her firm, Windmill Hill Consulting, helps nonprofit organizations of all sizes cut through the noise and develop a profitable fundraising strategy that focuses on the resources, skills, and tactics they need to build more effective donor relationships and catapult their revenue. She also serves as the president of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Washington, D.C. Metro Chapter, and is a former member of the advisory panel for Roger, the fundraising think tank in the U.K., During our conversation, we lean on the vast array of experience Barbara has had serving with and alongside nonprofits, big and small, and discuss how the current crisis we're amidst in 2020 is impacting nonprofit leaders and what they should do about it. It's a great conversation, and let's dive in. Barbara, you have a vast array of experience serving with and really alongside nonprofits, both big and small. And this vantage point really provides a unique lens to sift through the current crisis we're amidst in 2020. You know, we're recording this both from our home offices, like in quarantine, kids are at home, like we're in the middle of all Mm -hmm. this. And so I'm curious how you are thinking about this and, and what you believe org should be kind of focused on right now in the midst of this time? Sure. So, um, Noah, you know, I, in, a, in a pre-COVID-19 world, um, when I'm working with organizations who are looking to scale their fundraising, I'm always thinking about the, uh, you know, as Franklin Covey says, you know, start with the end in mind. So I'm always thinking about where does that organization mm. want to go um, programmatically, for sure, but also fundraising-wise, what is what do they want their fundraising revenue to look like? Um, their their um, their development uh, systems and strategies, and uh, and then where are they now, and how do they get to that point? So it's always about building and the infrastructure to get them to that end in mind. And right now, more than any at any point in in time, um, that heightens the urgency of this. So we've got organizations that are either full uh, full steam ahead because they are directly related to COVID-19 response in some way, shape, or form, whether they're human services, their food banks, their healthcare. And so they've got that, that very uh, unique situation of being um, on the front lines and now also uh, seeing probably unprecedented levels of uh, revenue coming in, philanthropic revenue, which they now have to manage both from a donor stewardship, donor um, uh, uh, sort of uh, processing to programming. The other side of the spectrum, though, are those who are not, who finding themselves, um, you know, on very uncertain grounds, as we all are, but for them, they're not sure how do they make their case uh, set their case in a, in the light of of the current situation, and how do they how do they mitigate then the losses, the financial losses that they uh, that they're expecting, 
because they are not the direct services, they feel like they might not, their, their story and their mission might, um, might not seem as important right now uh, in light of everything else, the more, more urgent societal needs. So it's a matter of thinking about what is your fundraising what are your scenarios that you have um, hopefully done? You've done some scenario planning to understand what are, what's, the, what's this organization going to look like over the next one month, two months, six months? Um, how much projection do we think um, we are going to see in terms of revenue, but in terms of also especially lost revenue? And where are the things that we need to be doubled down on in our donor relationships, in our fundraising? Uh, what are the things that we can't count on? And how do we then build um, the, the segmentation, the personalization, the strategies um, in this new, this new way of existing? Um, it, you know, it's always coming back down to the fundamentals of donor relationship building. So we've got to be thinking about our short-term, you know, one month, two months, six month strategy in that in that uh, in that lens of uh, making sure that we are keeping connected with our donors and are we still fundraising in some way, shape, or form? Because those who are tangential right now, I see, are, are they they are paralyzed. They don't know what to do next, mm-hmm. um, and that's where we they you know um, you, you've got to just keep going. You've got to keep fundraising because the history has shown us that giving has never stopped ever. Um, in sort of even going back to the Great Depression. So if, if giving has never stopped, it has slowed. It has been redirected, as we will very clearly see, I'm sure, uh, in how donors are giving uh, to direct response and not uh, direct response. But donors have never completely stopped giving. So we have to, as fundraisers, have to be allowing them to be supporting our organizations as they have done in the past. Indeed. And I think you you highlighted so many, like, key things. I kind of want to kind of summarize mm-hmm. them a little bit because I, I think they're they're important in, in a variety of different ways as leaders or listeners of this podcast are trying to navigate. And the first is, that you mentioned is this idea that like we need to fr- frame the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're in the middle of this. Yes, that is true. But it will end. That is also true. And there's a future beyond this because we serve a societal yeah. need. And I think it was uh, Richard Perry or someone was saying that like you serve a societal need. You need to remember that like your mission matters also, um, even amidst this, not that it's like more than, but it's also, um, and that's important. And there's going to be a future. I think the second thing you mentioned is just this idea that like right now it's so important for an organization to have like operating systems and processes as how they systematically go through and think from a funding standpoint or programming standpoint, like it's never been more important to have like systematic planning and process. And I was talking to Sarah Olivieri over at Pivot Ground, and she was talking about how this uh, organizations use like an need like an operating mm-hmm. system that focuses on the process for improvement, not necessarily the process, but it's like you actually have a process designed to improve at rapid paces. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, that's that. Uh, organizations are adapting and evolving like in real time. Um, And the third thing I know you mentioned previously in a conversation is the importance of culture. And I wanted to kind of pull back on that. And and why is culture so important? Because culture has been well socialized, but I feel like we're in the midst of a moment where culture might be more important than ever. You are exactly right. Culture is, um, to me, um, and we hear, you know, you'll hear this in the phrase culture of philanthropy, culture of giving, 
um, you know, what, what's an organization's culture, fundraising culture. And for me, that boils mm-hmm. down to how do they how do they view fundraising? Is it in is it measured in transactions? So is it just measured in dollars raised, or do they absolutely value the the donor relationship? So they understand that um, that there is a human being behind every gift that comes through that is prompted by. A, a, a deeper meaning for that particular donor um, that is beyond what that organization's mission is. So we know from lots of surveys and research that donors give because they want to make a difference. They want to have an impact. Um, and so that is the, that's what leads them to an organization because there are personal causes that are deep within them uh, that, are, that define your philanthropic priorities. So with that in mind, if we are only ever counting checks or you know, chart credit card contributions or online donations and not thinking about what, what are the pieces behind that? So who's behind these, these contributions? How do we build relationships and steward those donors? Um, and, and, and then figure out the, uh, how do we build within our own file? Um, I talk to organizations sometimes who will say, we need more donors. And I, when I ask the question, well, how many names do you have on your file? And they might say 10,000 names. I say, you don't need more donors. You need to actually figure out what to do with the donors or the names that are in your file now. Um, oh, 100%. Right? right. I mean, it, and, <laughs> yeah, and so that's, it goes back to, and, and the donors, the organization said, we need more donors. They don't need more donors because that's just churn. So things like really fundamental practices to your point um, just a minute ago about um, the systems and the processes in place. What are the metrics that they're using to define their 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 progress? Um, how are they measuring uh, the the their fundraising effectiveness um, and success beyond just revenue raised? It, it might. This is now not the right time, probably, to put those systems in place. Quite honestly, although. They, do, they can spend some time digging into their file a little bit more, um, doing some strategic segmentation to understand who are the donors that they might personally reach out to, um, who are the ones that they can do some tailored communications to, uh, who's coming forward in, in making gifts now when it feels like it's impossible to be asking for a gift. So there are things like that, and, the, and, it, and it might be this is the moment where they can reset that culture if they have only ever thought about this transactionally. Because right now, we all have uh, time, right? We are all at stay-at-home orders. We are all behind our desks. We are all craving interactions of some sort. So this might be the time where they can start to develop those relationships a little bit more effectively than they, they had previously. Yeah. And you hit on a key point that like, you know, donor stewardship is foundational to effective fundraising. And now more than ever, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that you, you talked about this paralysis and I think there's two parts of this, but one of it is, is that like our current moment has really stripped us of many of the familiar mediums mm-hmm. fundraising professionals really depend on to fuel donor yeah. stewardship. Maybe it's donor events, one-on-one meetings, et cetera. And, and so, uh, obviously, you're dealing with this in real time with clients or advising, you know, the members of AFPDC and others. So, w- what does staying connected with donors and donor cultivation look like now? Like, what yeah. what what does that look like? What should it right? Look like? It's funny because in a pre COVID nineteen world, I would have said 
you've got to ensure you've got diversity of medium. So, you know, you, you're not over relying on digital or events or any one form of fundraising. Um, but right now, you know, um, we are completely dependent on digital because we don't have those other, uh, those other forms. We don't have print because every print house is closed. We don't have events, right? We don't have the more in-person one-on-one uh, meetings. So um, the first and foremost words of advice I always give is that fundraising, fundraisers can't be silent. Um, so it goes back to that paralysis. Um, even if they don't, uh, they aren't sure what to say, the fact that they can say, you know, these are the things that we're doing right now. This is how we're modifying our work. These are the, the things that are, are keeping us up at night to their donors is absolutely okay. Because again, we are, every single one of us has experienced this in some way. And the donors who are um, either donors to or subscribers to an organization's uh, mailing list, they're there for a reason. They're there because something has struck a chord with them. So they 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 do want to know, um, you know, how their organization is adapting. So I would say that, you know, we've got this, very unique moment where we have to be reliant on everything digital and everyone's at craving some sort of some form of interaction. So donor events can now become digital. They might become smaller. So they, you may be, you may want to curate um, some sort of, um, you know, virtual happy hour or virtual town hall. You might ask a board member or a volunteer to, to host something um, that is an opportunity to gather, you know, maybe 15 or 20 people to talk about the organization um, and to get to know them. You might also do, uh, I've seen, uh, if you if you're reliant on things like runs, you know, um, sponsored runs, you might do a sponsored virtual run or a sponsored virtual um, cycling race uh, where, you know, people will get on, you know, can do it virtually and be sponsored uh, and still have that same, you know, sort of fun of, of, of competition and uh, engagement. Um, but there's also things like um, assets. So assets are, that you might have that are videos or recordings. Um, we support a, um, a music school and they have been terrific about sending out recordings of um, uh, or links to their website where there are recordings from students. So that's a really nice, um, it was not expected. I was delighted, to, in fact, to get that email where they had, a, you know, they, they had a hyperlink to all the different student recordings and some of the past events, um, performances that they had done. So that was just a really nice way to remind me of the, the great work that they're doing. Um, virtual town halls, that is, uh, we are doing that at AFPDC, and those have been terrific in allowing members to be able to just talk to each other, share advice and, and ideas. And it's the same for, you know, in your organizations to have in your ED or program directors um, to share some firsthand experiences and to be able to allow for that Q&A, which is going to be so important. The other thing, though, aside from all these sort of digital, you know, video calls or video settings, um, it's the good old fashioned phone. So I have been advising organizations to pick up the phone and call their older donors. They are the ones who are especially socially isolated right now. So that they, you know, picking up the phone, if you've got the phone numbers for them, is a wonderful touch point to say, hey, we, you know, we just want to say thank you. Um, you know, you have been a supporter of our organization. We want to check in and see how you're doing. That will go a long way. Uh, and it's, of course, it's done, as long as it's done authentically. But those, you know, we, the, we're, we're, I, I, I posted something on LinkedIn um, around uh, and I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but it was something like in this 
uh, new digital setting that we're in, I hope that it will allow us to create more authentic relationships. Um, and so the ideas of being able to have these virtual face-to-faces and then the old-fashioned sound of your voice on the other end of a phone um, are, are tried and true ways that we can continue to stay connected with our donors. Yeah. And I think like what you mentioned too is it's sometimes the simple mm-hmm. things that we overlook in the midst of chaos you know, or uncertainty. It's like going back and taking a step back and be like, what are the fundamentals here? Like, what's the simplest thing I can do right now mm-hmm. to move the ball forward? It doesn't have to be like this big strategic plan or this, that, and the other. It's like, I know I talked to um, um, a chief uh, advancement officer at a you know, hundred million, multi-hundred million dollar nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't know. I'm, we're just making phone calls. Right. Like yeah. that was it. Like I was like, what's your strategy? He's like, I don't know. Like, we're just making That's phone right. calls. And that was it. That was this, that very few words. And that, that was his recommendation. It was just like, just pick up the phone and call. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to do. That's right exactly now. right. So let's just do that, but that and see what and we And that learn. right there um, uh, is especially powerful. I think, you know, just being able to, you know, go through, say, you know, depending on how many donors an organization has and um, what staff capacity they have, they might have to segment. So they prioritize a bit, but um, the, I think that very active personal phone calls is really powerful. So even though it may feel like they're not doing anything else, they are they are showing those donors that that, that the organization sees them as donor as people, right? And and uh, people mm-hmm. who are going through the same things that we're going through. Um, and so that's that's really powerful, you know, because that or that donor will remember that call um, and will remember that personal outreach more than they will you know, the, the weekly email updates they might get. Yeah. And I, and I think this brings up, cause it's, it's all nice and good to say like, Oh, we should just call donors mm-hmm. and like, you know, just check in and see how it's going, you know, but n- being a fundraising professional and being in charge or in that chair previously, you know, we know that there's some urgency yeah. for a lot of organizations where they're like, Hey, we have a fundraising that needs to be done. And I think that's drawing out some paralysis where it's like, do we send anything? Do we ask? How should we ask? And so I'm curious, like, how should you, or how would you recommend nonprofits really balance this like empathy mm-hmm. and urgency in their fundraising message? You know, like what's the tone or posture organizations should lean into right now? So I would start by just being absolutely candid um, with the messaging. So every organization has, I hope by this point now, with about four weeks into this, um, done their scenario plannings and done the, redone their forecasts. So they should have a very clear sense of how their um, um, how COVID-19 is affecting their organization, both in terms of revenue and in terms of program and service delivery. That is, um, you know, there's, so I talked at the beginning uh, about the two camps, you know, the ones who are sort of going full steam ahead and the ones who are not necessarily directly related to the response um, and, and the front line. But there, but there is, a, well, there, there are um, impacts that, the, that COVID-19 is going to have on every vertical within the nonprofit sector. So starting with that very clear candor of what the scenario looks like for that organization what do they anticipate is the short-term and the long-term uh, implications uh, going to be? Does this mean that some programs have to be paused? Does this mean that some programs uh, are going to have to be scaled up? What, what is that actually going to look like? And, you know, they, every organization is, um, is going to face some financial downturns. 
you know, again, aside from, uh, probably aside from the ones who are conceding significant uptick, you know, um, every organization is going to have some, most every other organization is going to have some impact on this. And so it's okay to be clear with them, with those donors to say, this is what we think is going to happen. This is where we're going to have to adjust our programming or scale back because we are anticipating that, you know, ticket sales are going to go down or our, you know, our, our programs fees from education programs are going to go down or whatever it might be. Uh, we can't hold our annual gala, which is a third of our budget or whatever, whatever the, the implications might be. It's okay to, to be honest and open with the, with the donors about that. So um, because they're, we, we, I think in addition to the paralysis there's that we've been, that, you know, you and I've been talking about, there's also that assumption that donors aren't going to give, but everything I'm seeing and, and certainly what history has been showing us is that donors do give, they do continue to give. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, um, they're looking, you know, in moments of un, uh, sort of a seeming uncertainty um, and very clear uncertainty as we are right now, donors are looking for that sense of agency. They're looking for something they can control, the thing that they can control. And by giving to an organization that they have supported in the past, that's important to them in, in, in their philanthropic priorities, that will allow them to say, no, I can't make a gift right now to you because I'm supporting this food bank or I'm supporting this other organization. But don't assume that they're going to not give to you. Um, and so that's where I, you know, it's, it's, candor in the messaging uh, and being mindful that this is a new world order for everybody mindful that the donors themselves are reevaluating their own you know their own situations but that the donors will will continue to be there in some way shape or form um, and so it it's okay you know you may not necessarily lead the first communication with an ask but maybe the second or third one um, and, and it has to be framed in Knowing that the donor wants that wants impact, they want that organization to succeed. Uh, and so, what is it going to take now in in this co- this post or in this COVID nineteen and then sort of post COVID nineteen world? What is that going to mean for uh, how the donor can help that organization be successful? Yeah, and I think it's a great reminder of things that I continually go back to is that the reason donors keep giving is because they have confidence in and connection yeah. with, and our strategies. And our tactics that we do now should reflect that just as it did pre-COVID. Obviously, it's adjusting because we don't want to be tone deaf, but it's how do we build confidence with and connect our, our confidence in and connection with our donors and our organization or the cause that we're working on. And you can only do that by communicating yeah. and actually sharing information and candid. I like that that use of the word is a is a posture that I think pays huge dividends, even if that's human and kind of fractured yeah. <laughs> in some ways. It's like, hey, well, this is just the reality of what's going on. Um, and I, I know there's so much more around this that we could obviously get into, but don't necessarily have the luxury of kind of extended periods yeah. of time. But I do want to get prescriptive and pragmatic. Obviously, you have a, an interesting vantage because you're obviously like surveying what's going on and looking at our current moment. Um, and so I'm curious what you've seen that you would discourage nonprofits to do? <laughs> like what, what have you already seen? That's like, Ugh, I wouldn't do that. But what else? Maybe some there, an example of something you've seen that you would encourage organizations to do. I think examples are really helpful in time. Yeah. Like so the first and foremost um, uh, thing I would suggest 
is, uh, and I can't underscore this enough, it's taking care of yourselves. So um, I spent five years as a disaster fundraiser. And um, the first half of my first year as a disaster fundraiser um, was at the American Red Cross during Hurricane Katrina. And um, that was, um, talk about a trial by fire. It was um, a really intensive couple of months, um, certainly intensive one month of um, where to the point where I wore myself completely out, um, uh, as did many other colleagues. So thinking about, um, thinking about the, ma- making sure that you, you know, this is, we're in such a, such a, a, a weird space right now. And we're all, um, I've been reading a lot about grief and how this actually, you know, we're all grieving in some way. Um, whether it's the loss of our, you know, our pre-COVID-19 lives, the anticipatory grief of we're not sure what what comes next. But this is impacting our productivity. This is impacting, you know, now we've got to be remote working, maybe crisis schooling, dealing with, you know, caring for other family members and so forth all at once. So take that self-care of just allowing, resetting our expectations for what productivity looks like. Um, resetting our expectations for how others and our teams can be performing and being able to allow ourselves that space um, to, you know, do good enough work um, and not be trying to be overachievers um, every single minute of every single day because it's impossible right now. So I really feel like that, you know, this is good. We are only month, month one into all of this. Um, and we, this is, this is going to continue for a little while longer, at least in the immediate phase. Um, the other thing that I learned about as a disaster fundraiser was that it is never only about the response. It's about the response recovery and then risk mitigation or resilience. So it's a full cycle. You know, everybody focuses always on what are the emergency, emergency unmet needs um, that have to be met to get an organization, to get a uh, community through a, a disaster uh, or, or communities through disasters. But then when those cameras leave, how does that work? How does that, that, that community, uh, that state, those states start to, or that country start to rebuild? Um, what are the steps that they need to take to, to re, you know, re, restart livelihoods or rebuild, physically rebuild uh, uh, neighborhoods and so forth. And then it's that resilience stage. And we are still in the response stage. So we have to pace ourselves really carefully um, uh, and really and keep our eyes set on the resilience. How do we get to recovery and then resilience? Because those are what's going to carry our organizations for sustainability through this, this uh, time. The other thing that I would say is, um, is to, so you asked for like a, what not to do and it's, it's, uh, it's to not stay silent. Um, it's to be thinking about what's your, what are your, uh, what's your organization going to look like, uh, between now and December. So maybe you stage it, do what's our organization going to look like in, um, you know, in, in two months, in four months and six months, uh, it, what's the organization going to look like and need differently? Uh, do you anticipate, uh, what are the things that need to be reshaped in terms of your, your staffing, in terms of your program delivery? Um, uh, I, one of the biggest don'ts is don't cut your development staff. I see this, uh, the development of marketers are usually the first to go when, when organizations are looking to 
trim their expenses. But fundraising is a revenue center. It is not a cost center. Um, and this is, you need those fundraisers to maintain those donor relationships, especially right now, and especially to keep going uh, to get to that resilience stage. So, um, you know, ensuring that you've got the, the, you keep the staffing infrastructure, you keep that long view in mind, and then backing it up to um, how can we rebuild the or, or redefine our fundraising strategy in light of what we are now in. So maybe maybe you, you, then now is the time to clean up your data file. Um, now is the time to, uh, to segment and start doing that more personalized communication. Um, now is the time to be thinking about new and different ways to keep them, uh, you know, to keep your donors um, uh, thinking of you. And it might be, you know, think of all the for-profit companies that we that have suddenly now flooded our inboxes with little notes or um, I've gotten ones about either sharing recipes or sharing funny videos or, um, or different tips and ideas, uh, book recommendations. I mean, anything that you think, so look, learn from our for-profit, you know, our retails um, colleagues and adapt that to your mission-centric, uh, mission-centric communications and, and updates. Because at the end of the day, that's what donors are looking for. They want to sustain your programs. They want to sustain the benefit to your benefit, to who those you serve. Um, and so find ways uh, to keep them connected in, in that and still build those relationships to that resilience stage. Yeah. And all of those are so important, you know, whether it's self-care or you know, sustainability kind of evaluation or like, what does this look like? But also just sharing and just being vulnerable and kind of keeping those at the forefront. So I think those are great reminders. Yeah. And I feel like there's so many great examples out there of organizations that are doing this. So don't be afraid to kind of look into how peers or reach out to peers i think that's another thing like don't don't sit in it alone you know we're we're in this together even though things are different for everyone and together you know we can move through it and recover and then also build more resilience so barbara i know you're an advocate of that and i appreciate the time of course no this has been great i've so enjoyed this conversation thank you for uh for asking me to share my perspectives Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Oh,